Aloha and good morning. Happy President's Day. It is February 15th here in Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. Thanks so much for tuning in to Spotlight Hawaii. Uh, it may be President's Day here, but we are working and uh, someone else who is working is going to be our guest here this morning. That's right, Ryan. We have Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us from his office at the Capitol this morning. Always great to talk to him because, of course, he is spearing the, spearheading the uh, vaccine efforts across the islands. And we are very interested. Good morning, Lieutenant Governor. Please tell us the latest on the vaccine rollout. Good morning. Uh, it's going well. In fact, it would go even better if we had more from the feds. But we're now up to about 260,000 shots that have been delivered to our people we have 309,800 shots in the state, it appears. And this week, we, in, we expect to get 42,800 additional doses. So it's continuing to steadily go up, if not slowly. And there's just great work going on from all of our partners. Uh, much kudos to Director of Health, Achar, to her deputy, uh, Eddie, and then, of course, Wipes of Health, Queens, Kaiser, all the hospitals, the community health centers. I mean, people are really doing it. I've got to give vaccines over at one of our nursing homes the other day. It's just, it's happening all over. And we're seeing a reflection of that, it appears. We're seeing lower cases week over week. Uh, so we're not in the clear yet, but it's going pretty well. We know that a lot of the uh, impact, of course, of the availability of the vaccine is based on how much we're getting. How much are we getting as a state right now from the federal government and, and from those distributors and and when can we expect to get more as we wrap up to get more people vaccinated in our community perfect question so uh this week we'll get forty-two thousand eight hundred doses that's what we have been projecting next week we expect to get forty-nine thousand six hundred doses the following week fifty thousand seven hundred doses and in addition to that we're getting forty-four hundred doses directly to our pharmacies for the pharmacy program over at cvs those are separate also, we're getting separate doses for our military personnel, and they're really increasing their numbers quite quickly, too. And then in early March, we expect to get Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccines, which is critical because that's a whole nother, uh, you know, arrow in our quiver, you know, weapon in our arsenal. The Johnson & Johnson shots will really augment our effort because it's one shot. It's uh, 66 to 72 percent effective. So maybe we use it on people that are slightly lower risk. But because it's just one shot, it's one and done, and we'll get a lot more people vaccinated, and it will open up extra availability for our kupuna as we move into that category uh, more widely. Right now it's 75 plus, then we'll go to 65 to 74, especially those who have some illness. So we're aggressively ramping up the best we can. Would we love to have twice as much? Of course, because as Director Char said, we can give over 80,000 shots a week. We have the capacity, we're set up to do that but we're giving more closely uh, to 50,000 shots a week because that's all we're getting. Each of the islands is being treated the same way, fairly, although of course we'd love to give extra shots and doses over to Maui and Kauai, uh, just everywhere, Big Island, Molokai, Lanai. So the mayors are, are fighting hard for this vaccine too. And this is the process by which we get to immunity sometime in the summer. What is your timeline, uh, given that sort of that scale that you're projecting in terms of receiving vaccines? What do you think? When do we get to the next tier of the 65 plus, and then then to the broader population? I'm pushing hard for it to be in the first week to two weeks of March to be able to go deeper into 1C, 65 to 74. It's a little bit uh, contingent on getting that Johnson and Johnson extra supply, but I've made the appeal to Director of Health and to the Gov to begin opening that up uh, for the purposes of hope and 
really the expectation should be there that we can do that. The whole country is trying to accelerate matters. President Biden's team, who I do have an opportunity to occasionally talk to, has bought another couple hundred million doses that will be delivered by the end of July. And that now takes them up to 600 million doses purchased for America, for which we need only 300 million uh, people to be vaccinated, which is the 600 million doses delivered. So that's consistent with our timetables. I continuously update this. We will get to 350,000 shots in arms by March 1st. We will get to 600,000 shots by April 1st. We will get to 850,000 shots by May 1st. And we will get to 1.1 million shots by June 1st. And that means a really large percentage of our population will be immune by the summertime. You know, we talked to Dr. Ashton last week from Hawaii Pacific Health, who mentioned that they were actually not taking any, making new appointments, that right now they're just focusing on what, uh, on, on giving the second shot to those that have already gotten the first. So they're not taking any new uh, appointments. When do you think that might be able to happen again, where new appointments for the next phase of people might be able to start making those appointments based on what we're seeing in terms of availability for the vaccine here locally? It should be one to two weeks. What you can see is happening is because we were really thorough in getting those first shots, now there's a three-week uh, group of people that need their second shots in a rolling fashion. And we know that as we've done this, there's like a, a cohort of forty to 50,000 people that have been given their first shot. And so they'll be in the queue also to get that full immunity. It's important that we do that and we stick to the plan because it's that second shot that provides the large jump in immune status for our kupuna, for our first responders, for the workers there on the front line. It's a lot more bang for our buck to get fully vaccinated. And then as we get to the risk, uh, lower risk categories, and I, I do want to put an asterisk here and say that 65 to 74 is a critical group to get uh, completed. Once we get through that cohort, which is 148,000 individuals, we're in a pretty good safe space. We should see far fewer fatalities, far fewer hospitalizations. And that's you know right on the horizon. So that's what I think a lot of March will be devoted to. There's a question here from Tracy Valente, uh, say, ask him how much in the state caught the variant. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of concerns we're hearing about these variants and the prevalence, at least on the continent of the variants. Do we know uh, how many of the COVID cases here uh, are variants as opposed to the one that we are, we, we've had the whole time? We believe a very small number. And as you know, we were able to detect two cases that were the more uh, risky virulent uh, variant. It's a mouthful. And whenever you see that, it's like a cockroach, right? Because if you catch, we do 75 tests a week, 300 a month, and we do a nice uh, kind of algorithm to see where they are, where they're coming from. But when you catch two cockroaches, in this case, a, a, a more virulent variant of, the, of uh, COVID, that means there's more lurking around in society. We don't know over, overall if any of the variants is overtaking the main strain. But what we can say is that our positivity rate has plummeted. It's now at 1.01%. It had been at 3.47% around January 2nd. So if we were seeing a lot of the really nasty variants that spread fast, we instead would have seen a big uptick in how many cases we're catching per test. The fact that our case counts down into the 30s that our active cases is at 895 right now. That suggests to me that we have, for now, evaded most of the real infectious variants. 
Now, the one from uh, Denmark was not particularly bad. It's, uh, you know, you're never going to say it's good. Catching COVID is no joy. But the ones that we wanted to worry about most were the UK variant, which we had a couple cases of, and the South African variant, which was a little bit more resistant to vaccinations and antibody treatments. Those are the things I'm watching for. I would say that is our greatest concern now, because as we begin the end of the COVID crisis, and we're seeing the beginning of the end now with our vaccinations and our numbers dropping, that would be a wild card that could set us back if we got a big surge of one of the scarier variants. You know, you had mentioned uh, that we have some 20 cases, I believe, today on Oahu or, or something around uh, that number. Uh, do you feel that with the, these low numbers that we're experiencing, that the restrictions that are currently in place uh, for the city and county of Honolulu, uh, do you believe that they are too restrictive at this point and that we should begin loosening up some of the restrictions that were put in place by this tier system? Uh, I, so we have 25 cases on Oahu today, and the positivity rate on Oahu is, I will tell you this in a second, 1.22%. That's low. The seven-day average on Oahu is 38.1, which is great. I think that the mayor is being smart about things, but I would not be shocked if in the in the coming days he continues to assess this, because one thing that was important to us was how the Super Bowl played out and whether gatherings at the Super Bowl uh, on the Super Bowl Sunday uh, caused a, a surge. Today is day eight after the Super Bowl, and we will tend to see any effects from that on Thursday, Friday, Saturday's numbers. So if our numbers stay this low, I do think that Mayor Blangiardi is inclined overall to loosen restrictions. We just wanted to make sure that there was not some nastiness waiting to, to bite us. Uh, but I think we're getting pretty close, and I think that will be very empowering because in time it will mean high school sports get going that people have less concerns about opening schools, that we can get restaurants at a higher number. All of this will be reflected with um, kind of some good economic news because we'll get a lot more activity. I think the mayor is going to get close uh, soon. He did, I believe, give us a month pause still. Uh, but I can tell you that I share the numbers with um, all the mayors daily. And of course, Mayor Blangiardi, because he's one of the two new mayors, uh, you know, he's looking at what his policy will be. Uh, Chase Deaton has a question. When will we be able to travel using the vaccinations to bypass the testing process? I know that is something that you had called for in the past, um, but something that the governor has pushed back on. So what's your read on when safe travels could include a vaccine exemption? So great question. So the Gov did empower us in the emergency proclamation uh, to begin the work on that. So General Har will be able to flip the switch to open that up and make that our policy as soon as we have some of the infrastructure in place. It looks to me like March 1st for the CISA exempt. That's the frequent flyers that were getting exemptions flying between the islands without having to have pretests if they're vaccinated plus two weeks to be immune. Then we're hopeful that April 1st for all of our state uh, individuals, any citizen that has been vaccinated plus two weeks to fly inner island, we hope we hope that that will be the policy. And my projection should be that May 1st from CONUS, in other words, from the, from the mainland, from North America, that on May 1st, if people have been vaccinated plus two weeks, then they are immune, they're not a threat. This has been borne out by a lot of the guidance from the CDC. And that will really mean that the summertime, we can have lots of safe travelers. And remember, the more important part is we will be safe because on May 1st, 
we will have 850,000 of our individuals vaccinated or with, well, 400 and some thousand people fully vaccinated, 850,000 shots. So we will have that protection so that no matter what happens, we're basically safe. And I think that's the right timetable. And then international travel sometime thereafter, because we don't want to let strains into our society. This is the way that we restore our economy very quickly. We would, we would likely see a huge uptick in visitors by, say, the fall this way. Right now, we've seen a little increase. We got to 16, 17, 18,000 over the course of this long weekend coming in per day, some of them returning residents. I could easily envision over 22,000 daily travelers still down from 30,000. So it's a somewhat you know, civilized number. I don't think we ever want to get back to the numbers we were at before, but it would be safe and then our jobs can be uh, restored. So people should keep their eye on this policy. This is going to be the, the national and international policy, which is to say, if you're vaccinated, you are essentially safe to travel, safe to go to a larger gathering, safer to attend a big venue. Sporting events will rely on this kind of thing. It's going to tend to be connected to what people often call a passport or a a vaccine passport, which is really just an app that shows you could get the um, get the shot and you had it and you were now immune. So it's just safe policy and we're using clear and also um, common pass two companies to help us with this. You know, there's a bill going through the legislature right now that would create a uniform ruling for the travel program, uh, you know, and, and that would kind of have each county follow a state rule rather than having each island determine their own travel restrictions and what policies are put in place. Do you agree with this uh, bill, this piece of legislation that is moving through? We've spoken to some of the mayors who don't like uh, this bill because they want to be allowed to make the decisions in their own counties, but members of the legislature feel that there needs to be some uniformity in this. What are your thoughts on that policy moving through the legislature? Well, I think that um, Speaker Psyche probably ought to trust the mayors a little bit more. Uh, they're on the ground seeing their their circumstances in real time. I do think we should simplify the rules and the processes. And that's why I proposed what will be the practical solution, which is if people are vaccinated, then we're safe and we can have travel. It's actually a much more efficient way to do things rather than multiple tiers that were somewhat different or different travel rules. This really solves that problem. The problem with uh, the bill that's going through the legislature is, yes, okay, let's have some uniformity. We absolutely should get and respect the input from the mayors and the counties. They do deserve a lot of home rule. But what are you going to do when the rules need to change? It can't be guided uh, by a subcommittee when the legislature is out of session. It's not, it's really not what their responsibility is. That's the responsibility of the administration. So I prefer a more con collaborative approach, but I do want to simplify things. And to that extent, uh, I will work with the mayors to simplify our processes. Sticking with the legislature, uh, but sort of off of COVID, there's another bill going through right now uh, that some have called the Josh Green bill, saying that it's targeting you. Uh, this bill from the speaker and the majority leader would forbid the lieutenant governor, not you particularly, but any lieutenant governor, from holding any side jobs. Uh, what's your thought on the bill overall, and do you personally feel targeted by this legislation? Uh, well, let me break it down this way. It's an incredible privilege for me to be a doctor working in my community and taking care of people. I've been doing that for decades, and I did that when I was a rep and a senator. Uh, so I'm always going to be a doctor, and I 
and I would never let that go. But regarding the piece of legislation, honestly, we just don't have any time for political games. Any leader who's not completely focused on stopping COVID right now is is really not doing the people a, a service that they deserve. I don't think that any of these bills that target, whether it's the auditor or the ethics commission or even me, are are relevant in a time when we have a COVID crisis, people are dying, and we should all be focused on that, getting schools open, getting our economy going, and so on. Now, again, I'm honored to be a doctor. I assume that that bill that you're referring to, which I think starts in November of next year, uh, would affect the next lieutenant governor. You know, I'll be not lieutenant governor at that point. People will either choose me as governor or they won't. Uh, you know, there's no secret about that. But I think we should be focused on COVID and saving lives. I want to get back on to COVID. You'd mentioned schools in your uh, last statement. What, what are your thoughts on when you think the opening of schools can resume to a, a capacity that's a little bit more normal and manageable for both teachers and, and for parents? I think when, uh, when our educators are vaccinated, we should open the schools. That's simple. And I think that's going on right now. We're aggressively vaccinating our teachers as we speak and those who support the schools across the board. There are pods all over the place. So I always want to respect our teachers who give so much to our, our Keiki and our families. Uh, but when I hear from them that they want to go back to school and, and start you know, bringing children back to their education, decreasing all of the social and, and uh, mental stigmata from not being in school with their friends, we got to get back. So we're getting those first shots into people, as you were talking about earlier in the program, now, the second shots, that's, that's another reason to get those second shots done. And that will come three to four weeks after. So there's no real reason that come May 15th, we can't encourage all of our schools to the best of their ability to get back uh, in person. We've also noted that nationally, the numbers are low when kids are in school. Interestingly, when, when our keiki are out and about playing with friends, but not in a controlled setting where they have masks on, where they do a good job social distancing at schools, they do catch COVID. So the time is at hand. I do not want to see us wait until the fall term. I've got one child in um, a private school uh, and she's doing spectacularly well. They have extra resources. There have been no cases over at Iolani. I have a, another uh, child, Sammy, who is just this awesome little 10-year-old guy and he's in a charter school and they're not open yet. And I love that charter school, but we need him in the classroom. So we've as a family, had one kid in private school, one kid in public school, and they're getting a very different experience. So schools should open. Okay. I also want to ask you, because there's a lot of back and forth in the comments that we're seeing about the efficacy in, vac in, in the vaccine in terms of then catching COVID later and perhaps, or at least being a spreader of the, of the virus. Um, people saying, you know, vaccines don't guarantee immunity. Uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Because there is still concern that even if I'm vaccinated, I can still spread the virus. And so people are wary of giving tourists that exemption, for instance. Well, let me say this. First of all, Though I was the architect of the Safe Travels program with, with lots of good support, that always created some challenges because with a 72-hour pretest, though it greatly decreased our case counts and kept COVID out of here for the most part, it couldn't shut it down completely. Vaccination status is much better than that. If you're actually vaccinated, the amount of virus a person will carry is much lower. It may not be zero, and that, and that term is called sterilization immunity. In other words, you get the two shots, you're immune, but 
it also sterilizes your upper airways, your throat, your nose. You will carry much less virus. If a person who has been vaccinated also wears a mask, they are not going to spread COVID. They're not going to have COVID. Even if they have some small amount of virus in their upper airways, because of our policies, which have worked with mask wearing, we'll see our, our case counts go even lower. So that's one big part. And, and really, people need to continue to focus on the more important part, which is as we meet those milestones in my proposal, when we get through the majority of 1B and 1C, we will be immune. Even if someone carries COVID on them, our people who are otherwise vulnerable will now be immune. And the people that haven't yet been vaccinated will, have tend, will tend to be the much lower risk individuals. So there's like three or four reasons this policy will be helpful to us. And I will still say, even if people don't want to get vaccinated, they'll still get the test then. They'll still get the pretest. So it's adding layer upon layer upon layer of safety, but giving us a chance to have some economic uh, freedom, actually. And it has to happen. Look, at some point, we're going to have to welcome back our economy in a really serious way so we can pay for our hospitals, pay for our schools, pay for our unemployment insurance, pay for all these things like food and housing. We can't possibly wait until 2025. You know, there's going to be COVID around in the, in the out years, but we will be safe because we'll have herd immunity and we will have to have travelers here. Hopefully fewer. I'm, I'm on the side of the people who say we should have like seven or eight million visitors instead of 10 million and that we should have them pay some of some impact fees or some you know high density travel fees when they come to hawaii to support our economy but i don't think it's realistic to constantly err on the side of extreme conservatism because there are people suffering out there there are people one in five that don't have enough money for food there's a large percentage of people that are way back on their rents and there's small businesses that are going to go away forever that we've loved so you know, I don't really think we can um, take that tact. Plus, the CDC is telling us that if you're immune, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine if you come into contact with someone who's positive. They've already told us that this policy is good. They're just being a little careful because the virus is still only a year old. What are we learning with the vaccine and how frequently we may need to get this in the future? I mean, you just mentioned COVID is going to be here for year, years to come to some degree. Uh, is this going to be something like the flu where we're going to have to get the, a new vaccine every year? What are you hearing in terms of just how frequently we may have to be getting these doses as we move forward through this? I'm pretty certain it'll be once a year uh, for at least the next two years. And then COVID will recede like the other, uh, the other um, coronaviruses did. Remember, we had two other coronaviruses in the last 20 years that came and went, much smaller numbers. This time, of course, it affected, well, we've confirmed now 109 million global cases and 27, uh, 27 and a half million U.S. cases, so a lot of cases. Uh, I think it'll be every year. But they're studying that as we speak. So we will be able to see how persistent people's antibodies are after getting the shot, which then determines whether or not you need a booster. We have other examples where you don't need a shot every year. For example, the pneumovax, that's for pneumonia, pneumococcus. That shot's every 10 years. So there are some historical precedents where it's way out. We may find that you get two years of, of uh, immunity from the Pfizer shot. I heard the CEO talking about that at one point. So We'll have that data for people and it will be easier the next time. It won't be going to mass vaccination sites. It'll be just at your pharmacy, I would guess, in the out year. So all that data will be very clear. We'll be able to stagger those uh, those 
booster shots much better. And we will not be doing it with the backdrop of a lot of cases and a lot of people in the hospital. I will say this, though. I, I mean, I'm I'm happiest to report today, not just that our average case counts at like 53 over the last seven days, but we're now at 42 people. Sorry, 42 people in the in the hospital. Uh, and that number is low. The last time we were at a number that was 42 was October 1st of last year, over six months ago. That's before we had that giant surge after July 4th and we got to like 300 people in the hospital with you know tragic results. So we've come way down and it's because of people that are um, in our society, just you guys have done so well. The mask wearing, people being patient about the vaccination, doing social distancing, even though it cost us a birthday party or a gathering over Christmas, we did what other states couldn't do. And that means that we're going to come out of this better than others. Dave Hall has a question. Given the you know the positive uh, news that you're reporting based on the hospitals and also our low case count, the positivity rate, Dave Hall says, are we still going to be able to have gatherings in summer like graduation? Let's set some expectations here. When we think about, okay, once I've been vaccinated or the majority of the state has been vaccinated um, and we get to you know, May, June, July, what is a reasonable gathering? What do you think it looks like? Obviously we're not filling the Blaisdell, but, but what, what do you think that looks like? I think it looks like uh, graduation, like it did in the past to a degree. I think that that's something that the mayors will opine about, but in my opinion, if people have been vaccinated, they should be able to attend large gatherings. Thus the value of having a vaccination passport doesn't really mean travel. It just means you can show you're vaccinated very quickly. That means big gatherings will be doable. I also think there will be some creativity. There'll probably be some drive-through graduations, but we will be able to gather to much larger degrees. I think that you can expect weddings, graduations, and the like this summer. Now, a lot of times graduation happens, you know, sometimes in May, right? And so when you're talking about May, June, we're just going to be coming over that threshold and we're going to be mindful of not having super spreader events. Plus, remember, the young people are going to be the last to get vaccinated. And a lot of our young people have young parents. They, you know, an 18-year-old's got a 45-year-old parent, and they may not have been vaccinated yet either. So we'll still have to be a little bit careful, but I do hope that we can achieve that. And so I'm convening some people right now. I know that there's a lot of attention of, uh, on this subject with the superintendent. It's time to restore some of these important things like high school sports, graduations, the landmark moments in life. And if we can do it safely, which we seemingly can, given these numbers and our vaccination program, we should do it. You know, we've been getting obviously a lot and focusing a lot on the vaccine, but we know that early on in this pandemic, one of the other big discussions was the availability of tests and just getting tests out there and making sure that we are testing in the community. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, just our overall testing procedures and our capacity? Clearly, um, you know, we, we there are more tests available now uh, and, and but are the same are we seeing the same number of people that are getting tested for uh, this COVID-19 and is there any updates on you know possible at-home tests that people can expect to be taking on their own at some point we, we heard about a local company that was working on that as well uh, any updates you can give us on the testing aspect yes uh, well now with the with the case rate so low and fewer people sick we do have an excessive number of tests available. We also have a lot of tests that were stockpiled. Uh, the BD Veritor, that's a rapid test, antigen test, pretty reliable. Uh, the National Guard folks have a lot of those extra tests there. And the counties have been stepping up 
as you know. For instance, Big Island's been a great example where philanthropy has uh, really, you know, through Mr. Benioff, has really helped them a lot. They've tested a ton of extra people. The at-home tests are going to become more and more readily available. I actually took some follow-up tests personally after I was vaccinated to check my antibody status, and I was happy to report that it worked. Uh, those antibody tests were not quite as reliable. You're going to see this become commonplace. However, once you're vaccinated, you're really not going to need to be tested almost at all. Most people will be fully immune. If you were to get symptoms, it's still worth getting checked because even with 95% success from some of our vaccines, it means 5% of the people will not have achieved immunity. And it'll be a little bit more for the Johnson & Johnson. I would guess that those home tests will be good for things like schools. They'll be good for parents to check their kids if they have a little worry. They will be rapid tests, very inexpensive. The market will not go away for this for probably about two years until COVID drops down to more like a background uh, illness. So expect that. We have had a lot of mail-in tests available. I think that one of them is, uh, it's, it's called Vault, Vault Health, that you can mail in. That's a PCR test. It's good for travel. But I think people are more focused on the cheap tests so you can get a quick check. And I have to say, Patrick Sullivan is a great innovator and a, and a great Hawaii entrepreneur. So I hope his test ultimately gets emergency use authorization so we can use that for our state. Okay, well, we're coming to the uh, the end of our show, and we thank you so much for being here. Before you go, can you share any final thoughts, especially for those folks who are so eager to get the vaccine and just keep wanting to move along to the next tier? What, what's your message to Hawaii this morning? Hawaii, you've done great. You have been patient, and we are vaccinating over 50,000 shots a week now. It'll bump up to about 70,000 a week in March. So you can see how the numbers will increase. We will move to the, the category of 65 to 74-year-olds pretty soon. Keep your eyes on hawaiicovid19.com. That's hawaiicovid19.com. I will give updates on my social media. It's at ltgovjoshgreen, at ltgovjoshgreen. So every day when we can change that number of vaccines, I will be ready to give an update. Uh, it's really important that we do get there because I think that we've done a good job getting our most vulnerable people safe, but there's some risk for people who are 65 to 74, especially if they have a health condition. And we're going to get to you first in this next batch. So guys, again, you've done well. We've knocked this thing back on its heels, but let's not let our guard down. Please continue to wear masks and socially distance until we're done with this thing completely. All right, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, thanks so much for spending your President's Day morning with us and our viewers. Uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to give us that update. Mahalo. That. Mahalo to you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, always great to hear from him. We covered a lot of ground. You know, he's so optimistic about what the summer could hold for us when he talks about going back to graduations and weddings and, um, you know, the kind of milestones that we really, uh, what so many of us really miss. Uh, also interesting to say that he really is pushing for schools to be back open. He himself speaking as a dad, saying that one of his children is in school in person and the other is not. And he does feel like that there's a big disparity there. I'm sure a lot of parents would agree with that. So, you know, he's really pushing uh, for some progress on, on opening things up. Yeah. And we've got an update on that vaccine uh, rollout and, and what we're expected to see. Again, uh, as Dr. Ashton from Hawaii Pacific Health reported last week, right now they are currently not taking any new appointments. They are using the slots and the vaccines that we have available to give that second dose for those who already got their first shot. Uh, but we can expect to see more 
appointments being made and more shots in arms for those who have not received any vaccine uh, within the next few weeks as we are expected to get more and more of those vaccines. He also said that hopefully by the 1st of March that we will see even more coming out, hopefully with the Johnson & Johnson a vaccine that will get approved as well. Again, that is a vaccine that only requires one shot. Uh, and he's saying that maybe that shot would go to those of uh, a younger community because of the effectiveness that that percentage has. So we'll see how everything rolls out as we continue to wait for the vaccines to arrive on island. Yeah, and one of the reasons that this is all taking so long, of course, is the bottleneck at the federal level. Uh, we are going to be hearing from Senator Brian Schatz on Wednesday. We'll be asking him about the new administration and the goals that they've set out. Of course, the you know the Biden administration had pledged 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. Um, you know, so we'll get the senator's thoughts on what he thinks, uh, whether he thinks that's an achievable goal, and also, uh, you know, they're looking at putting close to two trillion dollars on the table in this next round of CARES funding. Uh, we'll get, you know, the senator's thoughts on that money and how much of it could come to Hawaii. Yeah, and we know that Senator Schatz has been a vocal advocate for getting school uh, students back into school. So we'll talk to him about that as well. And then on Friday, we're going to be talking to the director of the Department of Labor and Industrial Relations. She's going to be giving us an update on the unemployment uh, process and how that is going. We know that many of you continue to wait for the unemployment checks for this second round of funding that has come down from the federal government. We'll talk to her about the update. We know that that is uh, going online this week. So hopefully money will be getting out there uh, later this week, but we're getting an update on her on that process. Again, that is on Friday. Yeah, we always love to hear from her and we know that she gets a lot of engagement. So come with your questions then. Uh, and hopefully, as you said, Ryan, she'll have some good news. We appreciate you spending some of your holiday morning with us. If you are off this morning, thank you for joining us. We'll see you right back here on Wednesday with Senator Brian Schatz at 1030. Until then, have a great week. Aloha. Aloha.